Welcome to Beautify.com's podcast on cosmetic beautifiers. Today, I'm delighted to introduce Dr. Mark Clymer, a double-boarded facial plastic surgeon. Dr. Clymer is the medical director of Clymer Facial Plastic Surgery, which is located in Brentwood, Tennessee. He specializes exclusively in facial procedures and has more than 32 years of experience in facial reconstruction and cosmetic surgery. As you may know, cosmetic facial surgery is extremely popular with hundreds of thousands of women and men each year undergoing facelifts, neck lifts, eye lifts, and rhinoplasties, which are also known as nose jobs. Before you undergo surgery, it's important to do your research and select the right plastic cosmetic surgeon for your facial procedure, especially your nose. Welcome, Dr. Clymer. Thanks, Yvette. Uh, happy to be here. Wonderful. So we're going to begin our discussion today to have you help educate our audience on understanding about your specialty. Uh, facial plastic surgery is really a um, subdivision within plastic surgery. All plastic surgeons do facial plastic surgery, uh, but the specialty of facial plastic surgery uh, has arisen over the past few decades. And it is uh, those of us who practice exclusively facial plastic surgery have a little bit of back, different background and training. Now, I, I will say that it's not so much the, the name or the label that someone has. And that's one of my advice to the patients is you have to kind of dig in and see, well, what's your background? How often do you do this? How complicated are the or complex are the procedures that you do? Uh, and so although backgrounds may be different, uh, really seeking out the right person for yourself is the key. Background-wise, uh, facial plastic surgery, those of us, we complete first a residency in otolaryngology, head and neck surgery. That is five to six years. Uh, that has some general surgery in that. And then it has both head and neck cancer reconstruction and also head and neck cosmetic uh, plastic surgery, head and neck surgery. After that residency, then those of us who specialize in facial plastic surgery go on to perform an advanced fellowship in facial plastic surgery, where we learn uh, more techniques, advanced techniques, and, and really dig in for sort of an apprenticeship with a leading expert around the country in facial plastic surgery. Um, my, I did mine, what, I mean, 25, 26 years ago uh, in, in the, the mid-90s. And so I've been out in practice a long time, and I'm now one of the fellowship directors for uh, our facial plastic surgery fellowship in that I'm trying to pass on my knowledge, my expertise, and what I've learned over all these years for the betterment of patient care. You know, sometimes I get frustrated with some of the bad procedures and outcomes and look out there that I see. And I had a, I had a epiphany moment probably 10, 15 years ago that, well, if I'm not going to get busy training the next generation to do this right the way that I think is right, well, then who is? So satisfies my, my um, you know, educational kind of thirst and bent, but I am uh, strictly solo private practice. And uh, although I'm involved in fellow training uh, in my practice, I do every stitch, every step. Uh, there, there's uh, no operating on my patients by anyone but me in my practice, even though I'm committed to some educational uh, experience for young surgeons. Well, it's a good thing you did step in because it seems like it's a 
much needed, especially not just in the area of cosmetics, but certainly the complex uh, facial cranial reconstruction that is needed. So um, you've kind of talked a little bit about uh, what attracted you to this specialty. Um, did you have a wide variety of choice that you wanted to try to figure out what, which way to go? But what, what really made you interested in pursuing facial reconstruction? Well, I was, you know, I, I, when I went to medical school, I wanted to be a neurosurgeon because the intricacies of the brain, nerves, you know, in my uh, mind as a young uh, guy coming out of college entering medical school, I was like, that's the toughest of the tough and it's the most detail-oriented and as I went through medical school and was exposed to really what head and neck surgery is, which is kind of everything outside of the brain, all those intricacies really, really attracted me. I'm a detail-oriented person. Uh, I'm a perfectionistic type of person. I tell my patients all the time, no one's perfect. I am not perfect. But if perfection is the bar, then we get as close to that bar as humanly possible. So with the intricacies of, of, of head and neck surgery, that's what sort of drew me into otolaryngology and head and neck surgery. And as I went through my residency, then I found that I really enjoyed the cancer reconstruction portion. Um, I enjoyed the um, cancer treatment aspects, but I really enjoyed more. Uh, I found the meld between cancer reconstruction. And then also another thing that I became enamored with was the cosmetic aspect of facial plastic and reconstructive surgery. So it was a really great melding of sort of science and techniques and um, the quote unquote cure of cancer surgery was to reconstruct somebody after a big cancer operation. The quote unquote cure with cosmetic surgery is that you have a happy patient and right. happiness is, is uh, that's a moving, <laughs> that's an elusive little thing, right? So, and I really do think it helps blend the, the uh, my personality that likes both the art and the science mixed together. You know, I I tell my fellows and I tell my patients, I say you have to to do what I do. I think you have to have an artistic eye to mm. know where you want it to do, to envision what looks natural, to envision what is beautiful. But then you have to have scientific hands and techniques mm. to reproduce that. You know, time and time again. I'm not sure the Mona Lisa could be reproduced if it were painted mm -hmm. again. That, you know, true art is that lightning in a bottle kind of thing. And, and so it's not that type of artistry. I think it's more the envisioning of balance, proportion, and beauty. It's that artistic bent, but then combined with something that allows me to do that for every patient day in and day out. And that's where the science and the techniques come into play. Well, now that makes a lot of sense, and it leads me to my next question, because I I can imagine that working on someone's nose is very challenging and delicate, and then you're trying to balance the expectations of the patient for their cosmetic results and getting natural-looking results. Can you walk our audience through how you handle this discussion with your patients? Sure. Um, there's a lot of things that it, it the nose it has both form and function. So, you know, back to my background in training in, in doing reconstructive nasal procedures, I have patients who have a breathing problem who have, so the functional, always aesthetic or the appearance component, what, uh, about any functional issues, but then we also move on to their cosmetic concerns. And many times I, I will 
talk patients out of different procedures that I think they'll leaving that will leave them looking unnatural. First and foremost, I want my patients to look natural. Okay, I, it, in my mind, if somebody looks at a patient and goes, "Oh, that's a pretty nose job," <laughs> I think that's sort of a fail, you know, by the surgeon. It, the nose is the centerpiece of the face, and those of us who do almost exclusively—I mean, half my practice is rhinoplasty. See, half of it is facelifts, lifts, eyelids, necklifts. So in my rhinoplasty practice, I will tell my patients, the nose is the centerpiece of the face. And if you're at a big banquet or at a wedding and you walk up to a 10-top table and there's a very, very large centerpiece that has, you know, pussy willow branches and palm fronds. I mean, it's this huge centerpiece. Your eye goes right to that centerpiece and goes, wow, that, that's knockout centerpiece. Whoa, they really like that centerpiece. The, that is the nose that has the bump, is too large for the face, broad tip, drooping tip. It draws attention to it itself because it's out of harmony. It's disharmonious with the rest of the facial features. Now, the flip side also, if you're at that same wedding, same event, and you go up to a 10-top table and they have two carnations in a mason jar as the centerpiece, so, so both extremes can be bad. So in consultation with patients, many times there's, well, I want this cute little tiny button nose. I'm like, nah, you really don't want that. Because for a couple of reasons, number one, that can look aesthetically abnormal or done, so to speak. And also you want to, I strive to have my patients have a procedure by me and never have anything else done. And as I said earlier, probably over half my practice is revision rhinoplasty. And those are more difficult, more intricate. Um, and I want to keep my patients out of that revision bucket. And I think that many times the quest for that tiny little button nose is something that can lead patients down a bad path. So to get them out of that, we talk about form, function, longevity of the procedure, and techniques, again, back to techniques as well as the aesthetic that helps get them there. Uh, I do use computer imaging in my practice, which is essentially a technique uh, an exercise where the patient and I, we sit in front of the computer and I can morph their nose into a shape that resembles, it's not a guarantee, I stress that this is not a before and after exercise. This is a communication tool that allows you and I to get our minds on the same page of the playbook. Because for example, someone might say, well, I want that kind of cute little scooped out bridge, a little dainty tip. And when I show them a scooped out bridge on the computer, like, Ooh, you're right. That no, that that's not. Uh, that doesn't look so natural. So it helps the patient and I get our mind's eye on the same page of the playbook. And if I think they're really in a quest for something that looks unnatural, I, I will just tell them I'm not their guy. I, I want you to look natural. I want you to have a beautiful nose. That again, back to my centerpiece analogy, it fits the face. It blends in with the other facial features. And it's just a beautiful part of the entire facial countenance. Well, that's that's excellent because patients do really need to be educated versus having a thought that they want a celebrity nose or something like that. And early on, you alluded um, that's why you started teaching again, and uh, it's the term botched botched nose jobs. And you said fifty percent of your practice is revision uh, rhinoplasty. Uh, can you explain to our audience what is considered a botched nose job? Sure. Um, it's a term that I, I'm not real crazy about, quite okay. honestly. As surgeons, we all live in glass houses, you know, and, mm -hmm. and, and, and as 
there there are some things that probably fall into that category but i i think the the majority of things that are seen as they as the botched rhinoplasty you know they get back to the techniques some of them are 20 30 year old techniques that that mm-hmm. were um giving that kind of 60s nose job look back in the 60s and the 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 botched rhinoplasty sort of look um in my revision practice i think a lot more um many more of those situations when I do the revision, what I encounter is really not enough was done to the nose as opposed to, Oh, they had too much. And so in reducing the size of the nose, for example, a bump or the tip, uh, the tip is primarily cartilage and, and cartilage, when you reduce the size, strength and shape of cartilage over time, it can bow, it can warp, it can collapse. If you lower a bridge, that can also kind of sink down over time. And so many times the, what, what I see as the quote unquote botched rhinoplasty or the rhinoplasty that didn't turn out the, the way the patient wanted. And now I'm doing a revision for them is that maneuvers were done that led them to a bad place. And I have to do more to reestablish the structure and the shape of the nose Whereas if you do some of those things on the front end, I think you can keep people out of that botched bucket, so to speak. So, and, th- and much of that is technique. I think much mm-hmm. of it is philosophy. You know, I'm, my philosophy mm-hmm. is that it's a structural operation. You want to make a nose smaller, but at the same time, make it stronger. And so in doing that, it's going to take some more time. It's going to take some more effort. It takes cartilage grafting, um, cartilage you get from different sources, uh, you know, the septum on the inside of the nose is one source. Rib cartilage is another source. Nowadays, we have rib cartilage that we can get from tissue banks if the patient, you know, doesn't want their own rib used. You can use the patient's own rib cartilage. So there's just, a, there are a lot of techniques and options that help those patients get the result they want and then have, again, form and function be maintained over time. So, you know, I, I think that, you know, the, the, uh, the revision rhinoplasties, as I call them, are more that it, it was probably underdone surgery that didn't stand the test of time than overdone. Now, I've I've seen patients with overdone surgery as well. That, that's not to say that doesn't exist, but I think that's more prevalent as it was 45 minutes to an hour, shave this, take this, take this out, mm-hmm. looks great, you know, even for six months to a year. But long-term doesn't stand the test of time. And one a little exercise I have now, because patients will, they'll pull up a photo of some celebrity, as you mentioned, some person online, you know, an influencer, and they say, look, I, I want that little dainty, tiny tip. And I said, okay, she's, this patient's like 22, 23, 24 years old. Uh, show me a picture at her, after she, you know, she had her cast off three weeks ago. She loves her nose. Show me a picture at a year. Well, I can't find one. Okay, show me a picture of five years. Well, we don't have that because she's not there. And I'll say, that is the patient that many times I see in my office a year, three, five, 10, 20 years down the road, because just looking at that, that is a small, dainty nose that likely won't stand the test of time. So I tell my patients when they want a, a, a very small tip, which many do, if, especially if it's a broad tip, I tell them, I will make your nose as small as possible as long as it stands the test of time and it looks natural. And so, mm-hmm. and it still functions. You breathe through it and all that kind of stuff. 
So if they're on board from that, then we have a good patient doctor relationship. If they're saying, no, I want the dainty teeny tiny thing. I'll say, well, you probably need to find a different surgeon. And I pray that, that they get a surgeon that kind of says what I says, or, or they, they come around mm -hmm. to that thinking and they don't end up back in my office in five, 10 years needing a revision. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what is the average age of your rhinoplasty patients? Are they young adults? More men? That's and a women? great question. I mean, it's, it, yeah, it is. Um, I would say it's probably not 50, 50, but probably 60, 40 women to men. It is, uh, it, it's an operation that patients ages span the entire age range, but it also is one that's more of a, um, by young adult, as you said, you know, the facial growth, facial bone structures and things like that continue into the early teens. So general rule of some uh, rule of thumb for a lot of us who are rhinoplasty experts is, you know, for young women, it's kind of 15, 16, as early as you'd want to contemplate it. Young mm -hmm. boys, uh, maybe 16, 17, maybe a, a year on the uh, on the longer side, just because of the, the growth centers keep growing until that age range. Now, the oldest patient I've done a rhinoplasty, she was 81, okay? But she was also 81 going to like 40, very fit, very healthy. She'd fallen, had a really crooked nose, had the appearance. And so I did a rhinoplasty for her. She did wonder. And again, if you're having this done as a young adult, still goes back to speaking for you want to do this once and never have to do it again. Right. So right. it gets back to the techniques, the structure and making sure that nose looks beautiful, but stands the test of time. So it's, it's primarily, uh, you know, twenties to, I don't have the average age off the top of my head, but you know, twenties to thirties is probably a very popular mm -hmm. time. However, I have patients in my, what we call the, the, uh, aging face or, or rejuvenative practice. Mm -hmm. I have patients who, you know, will say, well, excuse me, I'm having a facelift. I hate my neck and jowls kind of always dislike my nose. And there's kind of this wide tale out there that the nose and ears grow over time. And I don't know of any scientific study that shows that nose grows over time, but as the cartilages weaken and soften, the nose can droop and look longer and visibly look bigger. So I may have a 50, 55, 45, 60 year old who comes in hating their neck. And, says, oh, and by the way, my nose just, it just makes me look a little older and I don't like the droop. And mm -hmm. if you look at children, their nose is kind of this perky little, you know, supported, mm -hmm. I don't say upturn because we don't want to upturn Miss Piggy look with rhinoplasty, mm -hmm. but it, it's supported. So actually in the, in the patients who are doing rejuvenative surgery, facelift, brow mm -hmm. lift, eyes, they many times pursue a rhinoplasty because that also gives a more rejuvenated look to their entire appearance. So mm -hmm. it does span the, the spectrum, um, primarily a, uh, you know, 20s to 30s, early 30s, up to 40-ish. But I have lots of patients, 50s, 60s, that I'm doing rhinoplasties for. Well, that's, that's quite good. Well, Dr. Clymer, you've given us a lot to think about. I certainly hope that everyone considering a rhinoplasty listens to your wise words and cautions. And if you'd like to get in touch with Dr. Clymer, you can visit his website at climermd.com. Thank you, Dr. Clymer. Thank you, Vet.